Good morning. It's my honor and privilege this morning to share the scriptures this morning, James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Heavenly Father, God, in these next few moments... Lord, I pray that we would not simply be informed through attaining knowledge. Lord, that we would not simply be the recipients of some new information that we possibly did not know before. But God, may we not simply be informed this morning but may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, I pray, Lord, that in this time, we would be brought to a place of complete submission to you, and we would recognize that not only is that to be the posture of our entire lives, but Lord, it is, in fact, to be our posture each time we come before you and before your word. And God, just as James says, may we receive your word this morning as the implanted word which is able to save our souls. May you be glorified and honored in these few moments. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, while I personally never experienced this growing up, I, I never actually experienced any type of, or at least that I remember, I, I don't ever remember really experiencing any kind of prejudice or uh, discrimination of any kind toward myself personally. But I can say uh, that I have experienced it as an adult in one particular instance. I got my first taste of it about seven years ago, um, eight years ago now. 
when Luann and I traveled to Bulgaria to pick up Katie Joy, my youngest child, my, my youngest daughter, she, um, we picked her up. She was about three years old. This was our second trip to Bulgaria. And uh, without explaining all of the interconnected dynamics there, just say this, that in Bulgaria, to be Romani or a gypsy, as Katie Joy is, um, to be that in Bulgaria for many people, is considered to be a little less than or just above animals. They are horrifically mistreated. Um, They are kept impoverished on purpose and then blamed for the fact that they have to steal in order to survive oftentimes. It is a terrible existence. Um, And when we went there, uh, we adopted her. And we were extremely excited. We picked her up from um, from the, the home that she was in. We had her in a stroller, and we went to this really nice restaurant in downtown uh, Sofia, uh, Bulgaria. And as we went to this really nice restaurant, uh, we sat down. It was me, Luann, her mother, and Katie Joy. And we sat down, and we were sitting, at the, uh, we were sitting there waiting for our waitress. She, uh, they, they came, and they brought us some menus. We were looking over the menus, and, and then our waitress came up, and she was very polite. She said, oh, may I help you? Oh, are you all from America? Oh, that's so wonderful. Tell me about America, and all these different things. And so uh, we were talking, and she said, why are you all here in Bulgaria? And we said, well, we, we've adopted a child. And she said, oh, that's so wonderful. And the entire time, I had not noticed that the stroller was turned toward Luann, and she could not see... Uh, Katie Joy. And so she said, oh, that's so sweet. And she went around the stroller and she looked down in the stroller and this look of absolute disgust came over her face. And she looked at us like she wanted to vomit on our table. And she looked at us and she said, I will not. And she turned around and walked away. And we waited for about five minutes And I got someone's attention and they came over and I said, is someone going to serve us? I don't know what's going on. And they said, well, yes, I'm going to serve you. She won't serve you because she's Roma. And in that moment, you know, I'm not a new father uh, by any stretch of the imagination in that moment. But um, but at the same time, I we just adopted her. She she just come in. And for someone in that moment to reject us and to reject, reject my child purely based off of some external thing. I can't really describe for you the amount of anger and, and frustration and, and truthfully just rage that, that welled up inside of me that I had to lay at the feet of Jesus right then because I had just told the woman that I was a pastor from America. I can't tell you how you go from being angry to being enraged to then it just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to think that someone would simply look at the outside of somebody and then immediately decide that they aren't worth your time, aren't worth your effort, and frankly, you can't even be near them because it might rub off on you somehow. And while some in this room may not be able to identify with this. I want to tell you the problem is not a societal issue. And I want to be really clear about this because the things, I'm going to use words today 
um, that, that are bandied around on the news all of the time, especially in the recent years. But everything that's been thrown out in the news over the recent years is nothing new. This is not an issue that just crept up in the United States a couple of years ago. James had to speak to this issue all the way back in the first century church. This is not a political issue. This is not, as I said, a societal issue or a cultural issue. This is a heart issue. The problem is an issue of vision. And not the 2020 type of vision, but it is nonetheless an inability to see people the way God sees people. We're usually good at saying, we're not like this, but you know, here's the, here's the truth. It could be ethnicity, yes. It could be economics. It could be tattoos and piercings. It could be musical styles. It could be the clothes that someone wears. It could be any single solitary thing that is on the outside of someone. But as we will see this morning, genuine faith shows no partiality. Genuine faith shows no partiality. To put it another way, genuine faith does not discriminate. We're called to be like God in all the ways that we can, of course. We cannot be omniscient. God doesn't call us to be all-knowing. But nonetheless, He does call us to certain things. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. But, he, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And we are told the purpose of our lives. If you are a Christ follower... If you have genuine faith, the purpose of your life is to be like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, since we are to be like Him, and we're told that we are to be like Him in as much as we can, then we should know how God is. 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And we are, show, we are shown that our human instinct is to show partiality. That's our, our natural sinful instinct is to do that. And yet, with God, it is not so. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God views humanity with very different eyes. And if we see people the way God sees them, we won't discriminate based on externals. We won't discriminate based on externals. Look at verse 1. Of chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. 
Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, James begins with the phrase, my brothers. Now, I know that sounds kind of innocuous. Uh, my brethren, it could be brothers and sisters. It, it sounds innocuous, but if you look at the book of James, most every single time he uses the phrase, my brothers, he is starting a new section, a new sentence, but, or a new, uh, a new paragraph. But also, uh, when he uses the phrase, it, as I said before, you know, sometimes... Uh, there can be uh, passages of Scripture where the Lord deals with us. If we were to think like boxers, right? Um, uh, the Lord deals with us kind of like Muhammad Ali, bobbing and weaving and jabbing every now and then, throwing a punch, but just letting us punch ourselves out until we can't do anymore and then knocking us down, right? That's, that's how Muhammad Ali fights. But I would say that the, uh, James would be more like Mike Tyson, who just stands in front of people and just starts swinging like a mad dog until you fall over. See, James doesn't pull punches. James takes off his gloves, unwraps the tape, and starts swinging with bare knuckles. He doesn't, he doesn't, brand, he doesn't varnish anything. He just comes at us full force. And so that's why it says this the way it does. In, in Greek, it would say in chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, no partiality should you show. It, he puts it right at the beginning to emphasize it, to, to make it emphatic to us. He wants us to know exactly what he means. Do not show any partiality. But this does, while it is a new section, it still relates to the entire book of James. The entire book of James is a book filled with ways that you and I can know whether we have genuine faith. Or not. That's why every week it starts with genuine faith, such and such, or such and such shows genuine faith. So it connects in that way, and he says, show no partiality. It's, a, it's an imperative, acts of partiality. So this does not mean, I, I want to be really clear, this does not mean that James is only speaking about ethnic racism or anything of, uh, only that. But he says acts of partiality. This, this applies to everything. He's going to use an example in a minute that has nothing to do with ethnicity. It actually has everything to do with economics. He's, he's talking about people who are poor and people who are not. Okay, but it applies to all. That's why he uses the phrase acts of partiality. And then the rich and the poor is just an example, an illustration of one kind. Apparently a kind that was common among this, the church and these people that he's writing to. The word literally is to receive the face. So acts of partiality. To receive the face. It means to simply look at someone's face and determine everything you can know about them from their face. It is the New Testament Greek equivalent of judging a book by its cover. He says, show no partiality. James is possibly drawing on Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Or Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. James is telling us that we are to not do this. But then he tells us something that we have to grasp. We have to understand. That's why I said genuine faith shows no partiality. Look at what he says. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James says, you cannot... Hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in this hand and also hold partiality toward other people based off external issues. You cannot hold both of those together. 
You cannot. You cannot. In fact, he says here, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I love it. You know, that's the English translation in Greek. It says um, to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. Why does he say that? Well, because the Jewish readers who would have been reading this epistle, um, the Jewish readers would understand immediately what James is saying. James is saying Jesus Christ is God. The glory. He's saying he's God. Why is that important? He says, because God calls you to be holy as he is holy, as I just read, and God does not show partiality. And because God looks at the heart of human beings, God looks at the soul of human beings, then you and I are called to not show partiality to others. He says, why? Because you can't hold to the faith that is of Jesus and then live in a way that is not like Jesus. You cannot hold them together. For if a man, here's his example. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Now, He's going to ask a question in a second. We'll get to that. But he gives an example. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, here's what it looks like if you're going to show partiality, if you're going to discriminate based upon externals. He says, if a man wearing a gold ring, literally it's a man with gold fingers. He's covered in gold. He's, he's got gold rings. He's wealthy. He is well-to-do. And even if he's not wealthy, he certainly wants people to think he is. And so he comes in dressed to the nines, wearing all, this, uh, wearing all this jewelry, and he certainly looks wealthy. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, into your assembly, um, into the, uh, the synagogue, but it, it would be the, the same as church. It's the, the con- where they come together as a community of faith to worship the Lord and study the Word of God. So um, he says, they come into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Let me be really clear. Uh, James is not condemning the man for being wealthy. That is not what he is doing. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't condemn the man for being poor. He condemns the people for the way they treat them. He, He condemns them for the way that they act. He says, and if you pay attention in verse 3 to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place. See, in their assemblies, there wouldn't also, uh, even to this day actually, um, in, in synagogues, there aren't always places to sit. There aren't a lot of seats all the time. Many people stand while they're there. And he says, you have this rich man who comes in and he is well-to-do. He's dressed to the nines. He looks like somebody who could be influential. Somebody you could probably uh, get a pretty good tithe from or whatever it might be. He looks good. So you say, you come here. You come sit here. As in, I'm sitting here. It's, it, the idea is come sit next to me. Come be next to me. You come sit here in this place. In a good place. Wow. So it's at the same time. He's trying to draw an understanding of the fact that you cannot hold the faith of Jesus Christ in one hand and then show partiality in the other. He says, so you can't look at the rich man and say, come, sit here by me in a good place, while at the exact same time looking at the poor man and saying what? You stand over there. See, with the rich man, he says, you sit right here. With the poor man, he says, you stand over there. Like, get away from me. I don't want you near me. 
But, notice this, he could be near him. You could say, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Why? Because you're not good enough to sit right here next to me. There's a difference between us. I'm not saying you're not made in the image of God. I'm, I'm putting this in modern stuff. I'm not saying they're not made in the image of God. But to, to quote, I won't use any names. I'll just say, to quote one church committee speaking to someone in my immediate family. We don't want that kind of people here. There's only one kind of people. And there's those made in the image of God. And within those kinds of people, there are only two kinds of people. Those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are going to spend eternity with Him. And those who have not yet trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so because of that, those that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ are welcome to come into this church and worship. And those who have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ are welcome to come into this church and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you can't do this. Look why. Look at verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What's the reason? He, he tells them. He knows. It's not because, well, there was room when the rich man came in and there wasn't room when the poor man came in. He says, no, you did this because you are evil. Do you notice that? James does not say that this is a societal issue that, you know, you just need to address and, and, and you, need to, uh, you need to figure this out. He says, it is evil to live according to the gospel, to live a life that matches the faith we claim. We cannot show partiality regarding people. We cannot give preference to anyone based on external issues. Literally, we can't treat people better or worse based on external things. One of the biggest issues before us in this day and age is the issue or at least the one that we're given all the time, is the issue of racism. Racism is the epitome, I would say at least in our minds, it, it is the epitome of showing partiality or making distinctions between ba people based solely on external things. And it is important to note in this passage that James, in the New Testament, God does not say that this is something unfortunate and something we should really work on in the church. God in his word tells us that it has no place among the people of God. To put it in other words, James does not tell us this is something we need to apologize for. James tells us this is something we need to repent of. It's not a mistake. It's evil. It is from the pit of hell... He says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Say, man. Look, I told you James takes the gloves off. He's not, he's not pulling any punches at all. Say, well, is he going to relax now? No. God sees all human beings as made in the image of God, lost or saved. We must see others, whether poor or of a different ethnicity, the same way God does. And as Christ followers, the faith we claim requires us to see others the way he sees them and not according to externals, 
And if we see people the way God sees them, then we will see the hypocrisy of discrimination. It's, it's hypocritical. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, you, are, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He, he says, listen, right? James is being a pastor. Listen, brothers, brothers and sisters, listen. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? He says, you are drawing distinctions where God does not draw distinctions. You are saying they are different when God says they are not. See, there may be things about them that are different. Newsflash, we're all different. There are things about people that are different, but the important things are not different. He says, you're drawing distinctions where God does not. It, it, it's, it's as if he's saying, do you all not understand? That's why he starts with, listen, listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor? You're mistreating those who are poor. He's chosen those who are poor. In the world to be what? To be rich. You notice this? Now James is helping us understand something. James is saying, you are drawing distinctions over things that are physical. God only makes distinctions based on things that are spiritual. He says, you're mistreating this guy because he is poor physically. God has chosen this guy to make him rich spiritually. And in fact, what we'll see at the end of this passage is it's possible that they're mistreating the poor because they're poor physically, but they're rich spiritually. And the ones that he's talking to may be rich physically, but they are bankrupt spiritually. He says in verse 6, but, but you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag into court? He's saying, guys, you're, you're mistreating the poor man, and you're, you're uplifting this rich man. Now, it, it's, he's di distinguishing them. I mean, this rich man and this poor man, this rich man, he's not saying he's a believer. He's just saying he's a rich man who's come into the assembly. That's all he says. You've got this rich man. He's saying, you're treating him like he is amazing, like he's a gift to your assembly because of his wealth and his prestige. You're treating him this way. Isn't he, doesn't he and his friends, don't they come from the same group that drag you in front of the courts? This does not mean that they're like suing them for trespassing or something. When he says they are dragging them in front of the courts, he means they're taking them for being Christians and bringing them in front of the Sanhedrin and having them beaten, bringing them in front of the Roman courts and having them beaten or even crucified. He's telling them, you're mistreating the very people who couldn't care less about you. Are they not the ones? But then look at verse 7. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let's put this into modern perspective. We just say, we're here at Eastwood. We're having some big service. And in comes someone 
I, I spoke with one of our church members this past week, or actually it was last week, um, about, about a man here in, in town. Several of our church members have tried to help a homeless man who um, just just really not ready for help. And, but nonetheless, if, if someone like him or others came in, they live on the street, they smell, they don't have money, they look shabby, they haven't bathed or shaved in who knows how long, doesn't matter what their story is, they come in. And we might smile, but what do we do usually? The very first thing we do is make sure our security team knows. You, you think I'm just... Make sure the security team knows. Why? Because they must be dangerous. They're homeless. They're shabby. They're poor. But then someone else comes in. They roll up. Brand new foreign sports car. Get out. Wearing a fine cut suit. Come in, they got jewelry. You know them, in fact. Maybe, maybe there's somebody local or even national. You've seen them on the news or, or on some, uh, some show. And, and they've said, you know, I'm not a believer in Christ, but I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in religion. I, I'd like to know more about it. And they show up. James says, this is what happens. The man who is poor gets treated as though he does not matter and it's his privilege that we're allowing him to be in this room with us. But we're suspicious the entire time. But then the other man comes in and he gets to sit right there next to the pastor. He gets to sit in a place of, of honor. People want to know if they can take him out to lunch afterwards. He says, what if the shabby man... Whatever his past is, whatever happened to him, you find out if you talk to him, he's a born-again believer. He knows the Lord. He loves the Lord. He's down on his luck. He's had a hard time. Uh, but he knows the Lord. And then the guy who comes in couldn't care less about God and couldn't care less about religion, but he's doing this because maybe he's on a political tour or maybe he's on something like that and this looks really good on his resume. And James says... Don't you realize that you're honoring the person who actually blasphemes the name of the one you trust and believe in and you're dishonoring the very one who has the same exact eternal life that you claim to have? It's hypocrisy of the highest order. He says it is absolutely hypocritical. He shows the inconsistency of it. And then we read these things and we think, yeah, man, I wish, I wish they understood this. Isn't it interesting how we invent this group of people every time we hear the word of God? There's always a they. We read that and go, man, I wish they understood this. Or I wish he, I hope she's listening. When we hear the word of God, it is not our concern as to whether other people are listening. When the word of God is opened... It is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to take His Word and speak to you personally. And the only question I have to ask when I'm hearing the Word of God is, am I listening? See, this truth applies to anyone. It applies to everyone. 
So it applies to me. And it applies to all of us. Say, oh, he's talking about race. I'm not talking about racism. I'm talking about any kind of discrimination, any kind of partiality. As James gives an example, but he says all types. And then he comes to the end of this, this little section here. Say, okay, whew. James has been holding us by the throat, right? It's like he's been holding us by the throat. And many of us are hearing this thinking, man, can he hurry up and get done because I feel really uncomfortable right about now. I don't feel uncomfortable at all. So we could be here a while. (laughs) See, because if we see people the way God sees them, then we will treat others with the same mercy we desire. See, James, he's had us by the throat. You think, okay, and you say, man, this sounds violent. Here's the deal. The Puritan John Owen, John Owen said, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You need to take sin. So what does James do for our sin? It's as if he grabs us by the throat with his left hand and we think, man, is he going to let go? Nope, because in these last few verses, he starts swinging with his right hand while he's holding us by the throat. It's violent, but that's what it takes many times for us to see our own sin. And to see the depth of our sin. And he, de- he tells us in this, these next couple of verses, he tells us, I want you to hear me. If you hear nothing else, hear this. He tells us that this is more than just a thing we need to hear and know. This is something that needs to be routed out of every corner of our heart and every aspect of our soul this very moment. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the royal law? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. What is the greatest commandment? They ask Jesus this. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two things are all the law and the prophets. This is the royal law. The royal law, it it actually can be translated the sovereign law, which means it's the, the law that should rule our lives. That's what it is. It's the law that should rule our lives. So he says, if you really fulfill it, then you are doing well. That's what he tells us in verse 8. Like, okay, well, that's the first kind of nice thing that James said. Verse 9, but if you are showing partiality, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Hear this. James is telling us there is no such thing as accidental partiality. You don't do this because you just accidentally did it. He says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. He's saying... If you do this, you're committing sin and you're convicted as a transgressor. You did it, not by accident, you did it because that's who you are. It's so hard for us to come to this understanding. But we try to do this in my house. My kids can attest that it's not always successful. But there will be times where someone will say something, right? We'll say something. 
I'll use myself as an example. I will say something to Luann, and it's hurtful. I know you're thinking, not you. Well, but I'll say something that's hurtful, and then later I come to apologize. You know, it's a key point. When I come to apologize and I say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Or I didn't mean it. See, when we say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, that's not entirely true. See, the scripture tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you're trying to say is, I'm sorry you heard what I didn't intend to say, but it was actually in my head. I just didn't want you to hear it. That's what we mean. You know why? Because if you didn't mean it, you wouldn't have said it. The scripture says, what's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My daddy used to say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. James says, if you're committing partiality, you're not doing it because you made a mistake. You're doing it because that's who you are. And you're what? You are convicted by the law. You're guilty. It's like the gavel slams down. You are guilty. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all it. Now hear this. You fail, if that's you, you're convicted by the law. And you didn't just fail on one point of the law. He says, the law, it's not that we follow the laws of God, we follow the law of God. It's not that God wants us to keep His laws, He wants us to keep His law. That's why it's impossible. Because if you break even one part of it, you've broken all of it. Why? Because it's one thing. He says... In verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he's explaining to us, you violate one part of it, you violated all of it. Verse 12. So here comes the, here comes the, uh, the, the final statement of this passage. He says, so speak and so act. Now, these are present tense. It means these are habitual actions. They happen all the time. This is what you're supposed to say, and this is how you're supposed to act all the time. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, here, here's the beauty of it. While you and I, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you said, I thought there was no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's true. His point is, you need to make sure that you are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what he's telling them here. How do I know that? Because look at the next phrase. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy. Literally in Greek, for the judgment is without mercy. He's not referring to just any random judgment. He's talking about the judgment. Like at the end of time, when, when everyone stands before the Lord. James says, the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Sounds oddly familiar. Sounds exactly like the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Why? So you didn't show, you, you messed up. That's not what he's talking about here. 
He's talking about people who don't show mercy. Like this is their life. This is who they are. This is how they act. So when they stand before the Lord one day, they have never shown mercy to others, which evidences that they themselves have never shown, been shown mercy. So they will not be shown mercy in that last day. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Those who do not show mercy, which is the opposite of showing partiality, will not be shown mercy because their life evidences the truth that they have never been changed. This is about constant action. This does not mean that you made a mistake and you, 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 I mean, you, you sinned and you need to repent of your sin. That's not what that means. This means if you live your life this way consistently, then when you stand before the Lord one day and you have not shown mercy, but you have only shown partiality, when you stand before the Lord, He will not show mercy. Say, so does that mean... What that means is, is that if you live your life in sin, unrepentant sin, when you stand before the Lord one day, the reason you lived your life in unrepentant sin is because you were never born again. And when you stand before Him, He will show no mercy. And yes, that means in the New Testament that He will send you to eternal damnation. That's why genuine faith shows no partiality. Genuine faith doesn't have these things in our hearts. You say, well, but I was raised this way. I I thought, here's the deal. There were a lot of people raised a lot of different ways that weren't right. Right. Say, but I I love parent, grandparent, whoever I learned this. You can love them, and they can be categorically wrong. Just because you were raised a certain way, just because you thought a certain way for a while, I want to tell you this, that ultimately your measure of righteousness, your measure of salvation has nothing to do with the people around you. It has everything to do with the Word of God and the one who died on the cross for your sins. And why is this the case? He waits until the very last phrase of verse 13 to let go. Look at what he says. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Over the judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why why does he say that? Because he wants to let us know. If you live a life that is this way, if you live a life according to the word of God, and you live a life that is genuine in its actions, why? So speak continually and so act continually as those who have been have come under the law of liberty. You have been set free. I love that. The law, we said, it sounds like, oh, i got to keep this. He says the law of liberty. You've now been set free. You no longer have to act like that. So if you act like that, it's because you're choosing to act like that. If you're a believer. You've been set free. And so mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying is, is that if you live your life this way, he's not saying that living your life this way earns your salvation. We're going to talk about that in the next, upcoming weeks. He doesn't say living this way earns your salvation. He says living this way proves your salvation. It's the evidence of your salvation. So you're saying, I am simply saying this. You cannot say you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and live any way you want to. If I was to boil the entire book of James down to one sentence is, you cannot say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then live in a way that is contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment 
you will escape the final judgment because living this way is proof that your faith is genuine. This is about genuine faith. James, obviously, apparently, the people he's writing to had an issue. They were showing partiality. And no doubt it was probably about poor and rich. That's why he used that example. He directly tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show them the same mercy that we want to receive. He says, but if we're showing partiality or we are discriminating, then we are violating the very law of God and we are convicted by it. Because we have been changed by God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you have been changed by the grace of God, and you have been, showing, have been shown mercy, then we are to live as those who have been changed. Those who have been set free. And if we have been shown mercy and grace, then it is, it is incumbent upon us, it is required of us, that we show mercy and grace to others. We say things like, well, you know, he acted this way, or she did this, or they do this, and, and they deserve what they're getting. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that concept should never be anywhere near your soul. Why? Because if you got what you deserve, you would be in a horrible, horrible place. And if I got what I deserve, I would be in a horrible place. And the one thing I know is this, I'm just glad I'm not getting what I deserve, and I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what the Lord calls me to give you, Amen. which is mercy and grace. Church, we have to live a life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point in the book of James. Your, your life should be changed because you know Christ. Partiality, discrimination, and the mistreatment of the marginalized in society should have no place among the people of God. We should set the standard for the world. People should look at the church, any church, People should look at the church and say, if you want to know how people are supposed to treat other people who aren't like them, look at the church. Ultimately, we must act and live this way because of the mercy and grace we've been shown by God. So what's the call this morning for us who are believers? The call is simple. Examine yourself. Is your life marked with the mercy of God? Or the judgment and partiality that is completely contrary to the character of God. And if you're a born again believer, you know you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you find this in your heart somewhere. Like I quoted John Owen earlier, be killing that sin. Turn it over to the Lord right now and say, God, change my heart, change my mind, change everything about who I am. Change my vocabulary. Change the words that come out of my mouth. Change the way I see people. God, give me your eyes to see people the way you see people. That's the call for those of us who are believers. And then this morning, you may be in this room, and the simple truth is, maybe you've been marginalized. Or you've been mistreated by someone claiming faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been mistreated or hurt by the church before, not necessarily Eastwood, but just the church. You've, you've been hurt by the church before. And if you're in this room and you think, well, I don't know how many people there are, I can promise you this, in all the years that I've been doing this, and anybody on staff can tell you the same thing, in all the years I can be doing this, do you know how many times I've heard the story about how they were hurt by someone in the church? 
who was not acting godly by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe that's you this morning. I want you to hear me. That is not the heart of God. You are made in His image. And you deserve to hear the truth. I want you to hear this truth this morning. I am just as broken as you are. I am just as messed up as you are. I have just as much of an issue as you do. And my sin separated me from God just like yours separates you from Him. The only difference between you and me is that I have come to a place where I have surrendered to Him and He has saved me. I have come to a place where I don't think Christianity is a crutch. Christianity is life support. I'm not doing my own thing and I'm doing pretty well and then God's just kind of helping me along. I'm completely dependent on Him entirely. The only difference between you and me is that I have come to a place where I recognize that. So hear me. A hypocrite says, I'm not this way when I really am. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm telling you, I am this way, but for the grace of God. And you can be saved this morning too. You're not in need of absolution. You're not in in need of reconciliation, although that is true with other people. Your primary need this morning is you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be made right before God. And I want you to hear me. While you may have been mistreated by someone in the past in the church, someone who claimed faith in Christ, I want you to hear this this morning. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus died for you. And he rose from the grave for you. And he lives eternally for you. And he is calling you right now to say, stop fighting. Turn it over to me. This morning, you can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean everything will be fixed and people won't mistreat you or do? I can't promise you that. But I can promise you this. He will never forsake you. He will never mistreat you. He will never marginalize you. He died for you. And you can trust in him this morning. And he can change your life.